Hello and welcome to Navigating Nursing. I am your host, Laura Whitehead, a registered adult nurse, a critical care nurse, qualified lecturer and fellow of the Higher Education Academy. Joined today by Professor Dr Calvin Morley, who works at London South Bank University. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. So I'm going to take you right back to the beginning. Did you always want to be a nurse? Uh, no, to be honest with you um, and to be frank, I, I fell into nursing and I talked about this recently and the Windrush, I did an interview for the Windrush um, nurses and contribution to the NHS. Um, I actually uh, came to London and I was traveling around and then my visa was running out and I needed to stay. And one of my friends said, well, why don't you not do nursing? And in that light, I got a job as a healthcare assistant first in a nursing home, a residential care home, and really enjoyed that. And then I applied to do nursing then. So, so that's the long and short. It was never a dream plan. I fell into it, but I loved it the moment I fell into it. Well, we're very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first newly qualified role? Was there a particular clinical area from your training that you, that you were interested in? Um, my first newly qualified role um, as a student nurse, I should say, as you know, we're all exposed to medical, surgical, emergency medicine, midwifery. Um, so I, w- I should say I was a Project 2000 student. Um, so that was when nursing first started becoming integrated into higher education and being seen more as a profession and an educational achievement rather than just, you know, a training as such. So um, we really, um, th- that was when the sort of scope of nursing was changing in our practice. So I, um, I did the Project 2000 course, and after I qualified, my last placement was in intensive care, and I qualified on an intensive care, and I got a job on that intensive care, which was really difficult because back then, I qualified in 1995 as a nurse. Um, in, in that period, you had people always told you you needed to um, work six months surgical or six months medicine or something like that before you actually um, moved into an area like intensive care. But I felt, and I, I, and I said in my interview that, you know, the new type of nursing education I had was really preparing me to go and work directly in these specialities, which is what I did. So in the end, my first job was as a um, intensive care nurse working in intensive care. I think as well that there's always going to be a debate isn't there how much experience do you need should you go in immediate mm-hmm. it's still an argument that's being had now isn't it we haven't really come up with a a kind of gold standard solution but I think doing a placement in intensive care really then helps for that first job. It, it does and you know um, we must remember um, now that we're all degree level nurses that the curriculum has changed and improved so much that it does prepare the newly qualified nurse to go and work in any setting, but placements is where you get exposure to what you like and what you enjoy. And um, I disliked A&E entirely and orthopedics, but I knew I loved um, intensive care and I loved cardiac more so. So when I was in a cardiology ward, I really enjoyed it. And when I was in intensive care, I really enjoyed it. And in the end, um, I worked in a cardiac intensive care. Oh, so you got the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> and you are a lecturer, you're a professor, you've done your PhD. Was teaching and kind of academia working in a university environment always something that you were drawn to? Yeah, so I've always liked teaching and learning. So um, I, I was drawn to it. I never thought I would have done a PhD, um, I'll be honest with you. 
I um, I looked after uh, some of the international nurses at one of the trusts I work in in London. And um, at the same time I was doing that, I was doing a degree in politics at the University of London because I was disillusioned with nursing and I thought I wanted to leave. So I thought I'll go back to university and do something. And the more I got into my degree in politics, the more I realized how health and politics is closely interwoven. So what I did after I got my degree and my teaching qualification, a job was being advertised. Um, well, to be honest with you, when I was doing my teaching qualification, while I was a nurse, I, because um, I was, you know, teaching people how to, um, how nursing was practiced in the UK. And more so we had a lot of um, international nurses who weren't recognized on the NMC register. Mm -hmm. So I had to, uh, my role was to help them gain registration onto the register as such. And so that teaching and learning role, I started doing my teaching qualification. While I was doing that, I was doing that at a further education college. And apparently I was so good, I was offered a job there to work in teaching and learning. So I took that job, did it for a year. And then I saw a job advertised at the university to teach pre-registration nursing. I applied and I got it. And that's how I got into it. I had never thought of the academic trajectory that one day I'll be a professor or that I'd ever done a doctorate. But it's like when we all start off as nurses, we never think you might become a chief nurse or you never think you'd become the lead for an area, but you do. And um, that's what happened with me. I followed the academic career trajectory and here I am today. Here you are. Um, I think as well, I think sometimes we can, if you imagine what you're going to be, you can almost limit yourself, can't you? By thinking, yeah, being a chief nurse, being doing a doctorate, is so, it sounds so intimidating, doesn't it, when you first qualify, that actually none of us really know what we're going to end up, what we're going no, to end up doing true. eventually. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I never knew where I was going to end up. Um, but it's part of the thing as you develop in the profession, you see the places you want to go and, and the things you want to do. And, and I have colleagues who have left intensive care nursing and gone on to become practice nurses or lead for surgery departments and so on. So it stands you in good stead. And I have students who have qualified under, um, you know, with my help as such in teaching and learning. And I walk around the hospitals now and I see them as matrons and, and heads of nursing. Wow. That's really nice, you know, to yeah. see how their career is going as well. And have you got any advice for anyone that wishes to study at doctorate at PhD level? Um, it's hard, <laughs> but it's <laughs> enjoyable. Um, it's, a, it's a long haul. It's not a short journey. Um, and a doctorate is about adding, adding new knowledge. So you've got to think of where, what you're interested in and what's the new knowledge that you're going to add. It is about adding knowledge uh, or adding to the body of knowledge, as we say. So you have to think, what are you going to bring and what are you going to do? It's an exciting thing. Um, and I would, if people want to do it, go ahead and do it. Find, find your area. Um, just realize that it takes over your life for three and a half, four years. Okay. It just really consumes you. We've got a bit of a prior warning there. <laughs> <laughs> so you're also the editor of the Transcultural Nursing Journal. Could you mind just outlining a bit about your role there? Okay, so... Um, as editor um, for the journal Transcultural Nursing, um, so it's a Sage um, journal. Um, so it's run by Sage Publishers, and um, we we look at all all manuscripts around transcultural nursing. But my role is quite administrative and and research bound in a way. So it is about distributing and sharing knowledge across through the journal. The technical or the administrative side is 
uh, authors submit papers and you know they're either automatically rejected when we review them which is part of my job or either they um, are then assigned um, to another editor and they go ahead that person will then get reviewers to review the paper and it's based on what the reviewers say and the editor in charge of it then a decision is made it can take up to uh, depending on reviewer times particularly during the pandemic it can take up to six months to get a paper and um, publish and accepted the the other exciting thing about my role is that um through the journal we run um workshops on how to write papers how to get published and and that's the exciting bit i like that bit it's the more research you know bit of telling people now you've done your work and you've written it up how do you go about getting it published and sharing it with a wider audience so I think that can be quite an intimidating process for a lot of people. Yeah, writing writing is, for me, writing is fun and I enjoy it, but writing is intimidating because you start with a blank canvas or sheet, as they say, and um, it's about putting your thoughts down. So um, I try to, I set myself a target. I try to write at least 300 words every day. Okay. Um, so it's not a big thing. Um, and well, you know, if we've all been students and know that when you're counting words, 300 yeah. is a lot. It can take you three hours to write 300, but um, I enjoy it. Um, so I always set my target that every day I should be writing 300 words on whatever I'm working on, whether it's a chapter for a book, whether it's a journal article, whether it's a piece of research I'm writing up, this is how I do it. You know, my minimum is 300 a day. Um, my brain personally works better in the nighttime so, you know, 10 o'clock in the night, I could be, you know, typing away when I should be really winding down. Uh -huh. But I've changed that now. And um, I tend to do my writing sort of first thing in the morning. So I get up, I write, I go for a run, and then I come back and, you know, I continue. I start to do work. Because I've just done, a, I've just started my um, world doctorate in February, and yeah, they're just setting the. We've got this task right every day, and I'm and I'm what they said a binge writer. I won't write for a week, and then I'll sit and do. Mm you know a couple of thousand where yeah. I'm trying to learn that every day is the best kind of the best way to get into that pattern yeah it, it does help you focus as well and um you know and I, I say to people always make sure you go for a walk or a run or something that relaxes you after writing or in between because you would rehash what you've written in your head and you'll get the ideas of what you need to change or how did that sound or you know while you're walking you if you're like me while you're walking and you have all because I use um Apple products, you know, my Mac, my iPad, my phone, they're all connected. So I know I could quickly dip into a document via my phone and make a note very quickly what I need to change. Efficient walking? I'm going to have to up my game. I'm just listening to a podcast in my own little world. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you. Sure. So you've also done a lot of research and published a lot, um, a lot of research as well. Have you got any advice for anyone that is maybe working clinically or, or in a different role and that would like to get involved in research? So I am, um, I chair the Chief Nursing Officers um, Shared Profession Decision Making Council for Nursing Research. So um, one of my biggest things or role here is how we get research embedded into the nursing curriculum. I mean, we know we teach nurse, student nurses um, research methods or evidence-based practice, et cetera, in nursing. But it's really about telling people there is a career in nursing for them in research. So just like how you and I, when we were student nurses, we thought, okay, any um, appeal to us, or in my case, intensive care, and some people love orthopedic, although I didn't, et cetera. Um, what we need to do is actually 
normalize research as a career for nurses. And one of the things we wanna work with is that student nurses should now have placement with research teams. So they can go and work with the nursing, the clinical trial team. They can go and have a placement with the clinical audit team and they begin to see research in action. So that's one way is that student, one of my advice is for student nurses, if they don't have those placements, when they get to the hospitals, they can ask their, um, their practice nurse, yeah, practice education facilitator rather, however you call them now, um, but that lead education link in the hospital, they should ask them if they can go and spend a week or a few days so they begin to get exposed to research. Um, also as student nurses, you could start looking at why you're at university being an intern, a lot of universities have internships. So for example, if I am running a research project, I will normally have a section where students can come and do a few hours a week work with me and they get paid for it. Um, so they can become a research intern that way. Um, if you're a qualified nurse, there's so much projects and stuff going on in the hospital. And I think every day we are faced with data and experiences in hospitals we can write about. Um, and so it's about finding someone to buddy with who's already an established researcher and someone who would have that time to help you develop and get you into a team. So I'd say for, for qualified nurses, um, research is exciting. Um, it always excites me to talk about it and actually carry it out. One of the things I'd say if you're a qualified nurse in a hospital setting is look at your research teams within, look at who's doing a project. If you have an idea, share it with someone who you know is along that academic trajectory. And now um, things have changed. You know, we have clinical academics working in hospitals. So you can go to your um, research department and say, who are the clinical academics in the hospital? I want to liaise with them and, and put it down as part of your appraisal. When you do your, your staff performance review with your charge nurse or your manager or whoever, say to them, I would like to work, you know, spend a few hours with the clinical research nurse team and try and get in that way. Um, but if you're looking at publishing, I would say I, there are lots of good, um, you know, webinars and podcasts and videos available now that, you, that teaches you how to write and how to get an article structured. But again, it's always good to attach yourself to someone who's published before because they would have been through that, those stages. Um, I, will, I can never forget the first time I submitted a paper to a journal. It took five goes. It took about two days and five goes because you had to have it. I didn't realize you had to have it formatted correctly. You had to have the running title, the header. You had to have the reference. It's an automated system that checks it first. It's not the editor. And I get, kept getting so frustrated and saying, but what's wrong with these people? What do you want from me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What more do you want from me? And um, I've written the paper. That's the best bit. And publishing it takes all, I mean, I say publishing it, submitting it takes a, put half a day away if you're the first time you're going to submit a paper and really read those um, journal guidelines because if they tell you the referencing should be in APA, the American Psychological Association style, and you do it in Harvard, automatically the the automated checklist will, will kick it back out to you. If you didn't put the author's name the way they ask you to write it, um, it'll automatically kick it back to you. So every time I submitted, it was coming back to me and it takes about, you know, 
six to eight hours before it comes back to you. So a whole day work is gone. And the next morning you wake up and you check your inbox, you see it's returned to you. <laughs> again again. Maybe, maybe today. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so pay attention to those guidelines when you are going to submit. Make sure you get it right. Um, if you're having problems, contact the editors. Editors are wonderful people and they do want your work. Um, and if you're submitting a paper and it goes to review and it comes back to make the changes, it's always daunting, but you do those changes. And chances are, you know, I have sent papers back to authors four times to make changes. And it's daunting, but just remember, every time the editor sends it back to you, it means they want it. They just, it's just not correct yet or just not in the best fashion. Otherwise they would have rejected it outright and said, we don't want this. So every time they send it back to you, it just means it's good. They want it. It's just, I need to get this right because it is about adding to the body and knowledge. So those are some of my little tips around research and writing and publication. They're amazing. They're amazing tips. And, <laughs> and things as well that if you don't know that it's a, a simple formatting thing, you could literally be thinking they mustn't want my article. And I think so it must be quite hard not to take it personally that and getting the feedback as well. Oh, gosh, yeah. But even even at my stage in life, um, you know, we submit papers and they get rejected because uh, the editor didn't think it fit or they think, they think it's too old or whatever. And it's always heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, years ago when I started publishing, um, I can never forget, there was a really kind editor, um, Journal of Health and Social Care in the community. Um, she said to us, we really like this paper, but it's just not within our journal, but there is a home for it somewhere out there. And those lines have always stuck with me. So when my paper gets rejected, I'm like, there is a home for this. There is a home. Somewhere. It just hasn't found the home. Yeah, it just needs to get the right home, you know. <laughs> so um, don't be disheartened. Um, you know, the wonderful Roger Watson told me something once. Uh, Roger said to me, and Roger was the editor-in-chief for the Journal of Advanced Nursing for a number of years. And he told me that um, rejection is your next submission. So whenever you get rejected, just remember that's your next submission. You just have to keep submitting until, you know, you will get it right and, you know, it'll be accepted. Yeah, until it finds its home and it's yeah. ready. Good, good, uh, good phrase. I'm going to have to write that one down. Um, so you're in a leadership, a very kind of big leadership position at the moment. Do you mind just um, explaining to everyone kind of your role as a professor and, and part of your role now? Um, so I mean, my role as a professor is obviously... One, most and foremost, I, um, I, I generate income through research and funding um, for, for the university. Um, but it's also about me particularly coming from a um, Black Caribbean background. It's also being a role model to people who aspire because we know um, that, you know, Black and ethnic minority people, very few get into leadership roles that I am in. I, I have not come across another Black Caribbean male professor of nursing. There was Professor Tony Lieber, who's retired now, but I don't know anyone else from the Caribbean. So I think one of my great leadership role is to be an ambassador for um, Black men from the Caribbean who aim to become professors in nursing, particularly. I think my other role is to work with the university um, my, my title as a professor is diversity and social justice. And I particularly focus on race and gender. And so it's to look at how we, how we strive for equality and how we make those 
make equality happen, make the lived experience of equality um, happen. That's one of my roles. So, so I do things like I sit on the Athena Swan Committee. I am part of the Race Equality Charter Committee. But then I also do things outside of the university. So I supervise PhD students, I should say as well. I have PhD students, I have master's students. I still teach undergraduate students um, evidence-based practice and research methods. Um, I'm a, I, I do OSCEs because I'm an ITU nurse. So I get involved in teaching and learning and, I get in, I, and research is also my re, main remit as a professor. Plus I have those civic duties that I spoke about at the university, which is really and truly, you know, sitting on these committees that ensure um, things go right and, and work for the organization. But also outside of the organization, um, as a professor, I still have my civic roles and duties. So for example, I work with the Council of Deans. I am a mentor for the 150 leader programs, or I should say a coach. I'm a mentor for the Mary Siegel um, leadership programs. I am a member of the Council of Deans Anti-Racist Policy Group. As I said to you earlier on, I chair the Chief Nursing Officers Shared Profession Decision-Making Council for um, nursing research. And then I have, then those things are still linked to work. And then I have the other duties I do within my own community. So I'm quite active in my church. And I am also active as I'm setting up a little local uh, gardening club group where I live. Uh, we found a little bit of wasteland on a, on a council estate that we could use. And the, the council has given us money to build, you know, uh, boxes or bed boxes as such where we can plant stuff. So there's those other things. So my role is quite wide and varied and I choose to still work clinically. So I do, um, I do about, you know, seven hours a week in clinical practice um, wow. as a nurse. And that's normally on a Friday evening, I do that. How, how do you fit all this in? I don't know, I just, and I love baking as well. <laughs> you need to give me some tips. I think I need to up my game. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've mentioned the Mary Seacole Award. Have you got any advice for anyone that's looking at applying? So the Mary Seacole Awards um, have changed slightly because they're now being, it, being run by the Florence Nightingale Foundation. And that's only last week gone live for applications. But I think it's a good award. It's, um, the Mary Seacole Award is one of the only awards that, uh, oh, I wouldn't say one of the only awards, was the first flagship award for BME Health that looked at improving the health and lives and social care of BME people. So it's really important. Um, and it's open to everyone, not just BME people, but the focus is always on the lives and the impact of how we can change things for BME people. So with the Mary Seacole Awards, when you're coming in, it's a leadership program. So you're looking at becoming a leader in this area and we tend to normally ask people to come with a project in mind so they can actually, you know, initiate change. And do you mind just talking a little bit about kind of any challenges that you faced in your career? Um, I've faced so much challenges, you know, first to begin with, I, I speak from a platform as a black man. I speak from the platform as a gay black man. And you have those two things. And there's quite a lot of intersectionality and inequality. So my challenges have always been around inequalities and equalities as such, um, of a fairer society, a fairer workplace. Um, it's, it's very difficult. Um, we're getting there, um, but there's still a long way to go. Uh, so my, some of my challenges has always been because I sound different or I look different, 
uh, people overlook you and think you don't, you know, you're not good as you're meant to be. So for example, when I was doing my doctorate, I gave up full-time work and I used to do bank nursing in intensive care and, um, you know, agency nursing as such and fund to fund myself living basically. And some of the challenge, one of the, the discrimination experiences because of the color of my skin and the accent I have, I was always judged as being an agency nurse who knew nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, you were given the most difficult patient or the patient nobody else wanted, mm-hmm. or, you know, the patient that was having constant diarrhea or, or those sort of things, because they thought, well, you know, you could deal with that. We don't trust you to have the really, really sick patient that needs to go on, you know, um, on hemofilters and all the other things we do in intensive care. So I, I, I have faced that. Um, I, and those have been some challenges of how do you actually, do I actually want to continue to keep proving myself to people? Yeah. I don't know. Um, why should I always have to prove to you how good I am? And one of the tests that used to be done, but I have recognized as an ethnic minority nurse when I did agency is that um, after you go a couple of times, if they think you were good, one day they would give you a really sick patient. And if you manage that patient, well, then you earned your star that, you know, and I just think it's so wrong because I am here to work with you as part of your team. And I am here to also help maintain patient safety. Mm-hmm. So by judging me based on the color of my skin or the way I speak alone, is, it's really wrong. And I think this is something we need to, to tackle in the NHS. Um, even as a lecturer, um, you know, or, or even holding the title doctor, professor now, um, when you introduce yourself to people, you know, and you sit and you say, I am doctor, they look at you twice. It's like, oh, really? Um, as though it's not something that, you know, you should hold or you should have. So I think part of the challenge is, is changing people's mindset. Uh, for me, around equality, that, that's been one of the biggest things. Thank you so much for, for sharing some of that. I think my background is intensive care and there's always been a lot around certain units that use a lot of agency and bank staff mm. and I, I come from quite a big unit and they, they do rely heavily and there's always been that kind of mm. I guess conflict maybe mm. and I don't understand why between bank and agency and kind of the full-time or part-time members of regular staff um yeah I think there's still there's still a lot of work that needs to well, be done yeah I, I think the conflict the conflict arises because um we know agency staff get paid more than bank and mm. You know, people think, well, if you're coming here to earn more money than me, you will earn your money. We yeah. know that's a thing. That's what that's what is said. I've, I've heard it. I, I, I've seen it said. I've experienced that. So um, mm-hmm. there is that issue. But I think for me, it's around the equality issue where, you know, particularly in London, where the majority of nurses are from a BAME background, we still hold this prejudicial view that if you're from a different, you know, if you're not white, Basically, if you're non-white, it means you're not good at what you do. Mm. And I think that mindset has to change. It's a huge challenge. Huge. And have you got any advice for any newly qualified or students that are about to qualify um, in the next few months? I think with students who are qualifying soon, um, you have a lot to offer because you've survived the pandemic. Yeah, well um, done. I think everyone deserves yeah, a clap. Exactly. <laughs> well done to them. You know, they've survived two waves of a pandemic. Uh, we may have a third coming on. I'm not sure, but uh, let's not think about that. But also, I think, um, you know, you have to follow follow your heart. Um, decide. Nursing is so flexible. You can decide today you want to work in A&E. And in three years time, you could decide you want to go and work in the community. Yeah. And nursing allows that. 
So don't feel your career will start and end in the first job you're going for. Treat it as an experience of where you're going to consolidate your knowledge, your first job. And it should be somewhere you like, you know, something that you want to con where you want to consolidate your knowledge and a team, hopefully you can work with it. I think working within a good ward environment or unit environment team will help you to, to, to consolidate your knowledge and your practice. So that's my first bit of advice. As I said, your career doesn't stand or end in the first um, job. And there's a lot of possibilities in nursing. So you can stay in clinical practice, you can go into management, you can go into education like myself, um, you know, you can go into corporate stuff. There is a world of opportunities out there. So you just have to embrace it and um, don't run, crawl, creep, walk, and then run because um, nursing is vast. There's lots to learn. But most and foremost, remember you're there for patient. Patient safety means a lot. And um, you have to look at how you maintain that. Don't, don't compromise your registration where patient safety is concerned. I think your career is a perfect example of... I guess the twists and turns that a career can take and at different points of I'm going to change area, I'm going to move into something different, I'm going to study different qualifications and that healthcare is so vast that you can go do politics. You can, I've spoken to nurses you know, that have gone down sociology, that have done health and social care that have really got a really wide variety of academic qualifications and kind of almost taken a step across from nursing for a little bit and ultimately that's really enriched their career and their development overall. Yeah, I agree totally. And I think the clinical competency and the patient safety is really important. And I think as well, not rushing. I think I'm a rusher. Um, and I think it's something that we as students, I think sometimes you can feel like you've done your degree, you're ready to go. And actually, I don't think I'd appreciated when I finished my degree, how much more learning there was to do. And actually, I was just at the beginning. I, I hadn't really finished. I hadn't really finished anything. There was so much more. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing with nursing, there's always so much more to learn and understand and, and, you know, treasure those moments with, listen, I think one of my things I would say to, to nurses is, is treasure everything as a learning moment and even the things that are going to upset you, you're going to learn from it. I had, I remember when I was a student nurse, uh, not student, sorry, a newly qualified nurse and I made a drug error, I thought the world had ended. But you have to treat it as a learning experience and make sure it doesn't happen again, you know. Mm. Um, and, and that's the things you got to learn. We will, we will, the errors will happen because we are human. Things will go wrong, but um, we have to make sure we learn from it that it never, I wouldn't say never occurs again, but we minimize that risk of it occurring again mm. and how it happens. So um, don't beat ourselves up over it, you know, reflect on it and, and make your action plan. That's what we teach student nurses and qualified nurses in your action plan when you do a reflection there's an action plan never beat yourself up about it just say okay this happened these are these are the human factors that failed me these are the things that didn't go right how could i change this in future that's mm, yeah, um, really important yeah it is and and i think it's wonderful to work with patients and families it truly truly is I, and for me you know um when I put a smile or, you know, I help someone, that's what makes me smile and makes me feel good as well. So yeah. when the person I've helped feel good, you know. We can make a difference. Yeah. And what are your career goals for the future? What are your aims forward? Uh, I don't know how far forward I've thought. You know, if you come from ethnic minority families, I can never forget when I told my family that um, I was appointed as a professor and awarded my chair. Um, they said, is that the highest you can go? 
Or could you go further than that? Uh, that's such well, a why can't you just be thing. happy? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I just, just to share my moment. They were like, oh, so could you go higher than that? It's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Have you just lied? No. I've hit the level. <laughs> um, so I think one of the things is uh, for me at the moment, um, my, my work at the moment is really and truly about making a change and a difference. I, I'm also developing junior staff and people around me. So I've always really enjoyed developing people along the way, uh, the path that I go. So it's to continue to do that. I'm, I may see myself, you know, working in larger organizations where, uh, you know, we change direction and policy around nursing and nursing practice. So uh, prob that, that, that's not in the immediate future. That's, that's further down the line for me. Um, but, you know, as I said, my first degree was in politics and policy. So I, I am geared towards of how we impact and we make changes. But for now, um, the goals are to make sure my PhD students complete and um, to, to, to keep, you know, doing what I'm doing and, and forging forward with the equality agenda. Where that will take me, I'm not sure yet, but um, we watch the space. Watch this space. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Thank you, Laura. You are so busy and I can't believe you've managed to fit me in. So thank you so much. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And, and thank you so much for having me. And, you know, it's been wonderful to chat and share and hopefully it'll help other people as well. It's, it's always, um, as I said, you know, I didn't choose nursing initially as a career. Um, I fell into it, but I loved it when I fell into it. And it may be the same thing for other people out there. Um, and also as a newly qualified nurse, you may get into an area that, you know, you're not quite au fait with, but you will find your feet. So my parting words are, um, you know, build on what you already have and, and explore the opportunities out there. You know, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into being one type of nurse. There are many different types of nursing, um, but the, the whole cornerstone of nursing is about caring and, and you know, promoting patient safety and lives. So um, we're a critical safety profession, as we say. So we should always remember that, but the opportunities are vast for us. And you've beautifully summarised this whole series. I really wanted to give kind of a platform to interview and speak to nurses that work in a whole variety of jobs from a whole variety of backgrounds, educational, kind of everything, just to kind of, for anyone listening to really see themselves represented and to give them kind of advice for their careers as well, really. Great. So thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you so much.